You're listening to the Curiosity Collective podcast, and I'm Deepika. How do you adjust to an ever-changing situation where the new normal is indefinite uncertainty? And this question was at the core of an article I recently came across on the pandemic and its effect on adults. And it seemed to echo something that's been on our minds here at the Curiosity Collective. Because a pandemic is different from other natural disasters in some ways. I mean, for one thing, it unfolds over a much longer period of time. And so, as the question puts it, has the quality of being indefinite and full of uncertainty. In our last episode, we spoke to children and their parents to get a glimpse of what was going on with them and how they were finding ways to cope with the situation. This little glimpse was so full of insight that we couldn't help wanting to broaden it further. So we decided to reach out to Jehanze Baldiwala, Director of Mental Health Services at Umeet Child Development Center, an NGO in Mumbai. Jehanzeb has been working with children on mental health issues for close to two decades. And after a few failed attempts to set up some time to talk or to see the Mumbai rain, we finally had a chance to converse. So I'm Jehanzeb um, and I work uh, as a mental health worker, as a mental health professional. Um, I'm with an organization called Umeet Child Development Center and I've been consulting here um, for close to 17 years now. Um, I work uh, as a part of the mental health team and my work includes uh, consulting with children and families, um, particularly children and families experiencing disabilities. Founded in 2001, Umeet has been working in the areas of supporting children and their families through a clinical service they run. They also train community workers and professionals to conduct research, advocacy and awareness in child development. The approach they take is along the lines of what we discussed in our earlier conversations on mental health and disability. It emphasizes the relevance of social contexts and environments in shaping the experiences of children. And I'm aligned to um, what we refer to as narrative ideas and practices. Mm-hmm. And basically sort of to, uh, to highlight, I mean, multiple things about, about that way of working with people, but uh, two things that I'd like to bring up today. And one is that we really locate sort of problems and concerns and difficulties that people are experiencing in a context that they're living in. We don't believe that people are their problems um, and that problems really exist in, um, in systems, in, um, you know, in contexts and not inside of people. Um, and that also people are always responding and that they have a lot of expertise and a lot of uh, knowledge and skills about living and managing in their context. And so our role becomes sort of walking alongside people and discovering more about how the problem is operating and also discovering more about their ways of responding and the skills and knowledges um, that they might already be using um, and maybe collaboratively coming up with, you know, more ideas together. Considering this approach and the times that we're living in, Umeet has already been actively working with children and their families to provide that critical support through the period of the pandemic. So I had to ask Jahanzeb, you know, as a practitioner in the field of mental health, what had she been hearing and seeing in terms of how children were responding to this so-called new normal? Right now, I think um, the uh, sort of the kind of... Uh, 
difficulties or the kind of concerns or the kind of stories we're hearing are um, a lot around uh, adjusting to, you know, a new sort of uh, or a different way of being. Um, a lot of fear and anxiety, of course, and a lot of people experiencing um, a sense of being low, being disconnected, isolated, um, apart from, of course, a lot of very real problems of, you know, uh, worry about contagion, worry about, uh, you know, monetary financial concerns that families are experiencing. She emphasized how there was, of course, a wide variance in responses of children based on their circumstances. So while a small population was happier and more comfortable being at home and, you know, in the presence of their family members, others were unhappy with this unnaturally long confinement. I think the one thing, though, that was common to all was that with the coming of the pandemic, lives had been massively disrupted. And Jahanzeb took us through what she's been observing through the course of the last few months. I think what has happened is across the board and across age groups, there's a disruption in uh, routine. I think um, there's a huge sense of unpredictability, right? Because um, there's a feeling of just not knowing. Um, So for a lot of the young people, there's a grappling with like, when are things going to become okay? Um, Which I found initially, there was an intense, um, you know, feeling of uh, wanting to, you know, to tell yourself that it's going to be a month or two months or, you know, and now I see more and more people kind of uh, reaching a space where they're feeling like, oh, this is never ending. I think it's slowly slipping more into sort of this sense of not being able to control what's happening to you or, you know, uh, feeling a sense of, um, I don't want to use the word hopelessness because it's a very big word, but maybe a sense of really not knowing when this is going to end and not not feeling like, um, you know, not feeling hopeful of it getting back to, you know, their life as it was earlier. Um, I think for many families in the mental health space, we've been hearing of how um, there's also an increase in a lot of the violence that's happening in the home. So I think that's also affected children uh, considerably. So I think it's been very varied, I think is what I'm trying to say, depending on um, so much a function of, you know, what the financial state of the family is, what their physical condition is. Um, you know, uh, in terms of what kind of a house or living space they have and how many people in it, um, you know, what's uh, what's their daily routine or how much are they sort of dependent or sort of, you know, how much did they, uh, you know, their sense of security come from interacting maybe with a teacher or, a, you know, um, an after school uh, program that they might have been part of. What's important to acknowledge, though, is that experts are growing increasingly concerned about the potential long-term effects of this pandemic on children's health and psychological development. Now, considering the wide variety of responses that Jehanzeb was referring to, I had to ask if there's a way that, you know, parents or other caregivers could keep an eye out on how children are doing, especially as many children aren't necessarily verbal about how they're feeling. So what were some of these signs that indicate a child is having a difficult time coping? I guess sleep, appetite, you know, those things I would look out for. But also if you're finding um, like a change in emotional responses, like the child growing very quiet or, uh, you know, outbursts, um, like everybody's a little more irritable and, you know, those things. But I think if you're seeing it consistently over a period of time that the child is, you know, expressing uh, irritability or, um, or is uh, crying a lot, 
uh, you know, th- that then I would be a little bit sort of, uh, and when I'm saying concerned, I, I wouldn't, you know, what I would do is make sure that I address it with a young person to ask them how they're feeling. Studies are only now beginning to trickle in regarding how children might be responding to the pandemic. Um, a recently reported study examined the emotional impact of the quarantine on children and adolescents from Italy and Spain, two of the most affected countries by COVID-19. It found that 85% of parents perceived changes in their children's emotional states and behavior during the quarantine. And the most frequently reported symptoms were difficulty in concentrating, irritability, boredom, restlessness, nervousness, feelings of loneliness, uneasiness, and worry. Chihansip emphasized how this could be addressed actively by ensuring that the child is provided with a safe and conversational environment where they can bring up and express how they are feeling or ask questions about what might be troubling them. Parents obviously know their children best. Um, and so, you know, not ignoring and uh, probably just uh, making sure that conversation spaces are open. And I think a great starting point is always uh, sharing sort of what it's be feeling like for you. Um, and that can also be an opening, but also sometimes like if it's not the parents themselves, if there's, you know, somebody closer in age, like a cousin or, you know, you could even have them connect or reach out as well um, and have those conversations with young people. Another arena which could help children feel more secure, she said, was of creating familiar routines and loosely regulated environments so that children have a sense of what their day is looking like. So I've been hearing a lot about how young people, you know, sleep routines, I think, are, uh, you know, really different now. So a lot of, uh, and this would be, I think, more in, you know, the age group, probably 12, 13 up. Um, because I think when they're younger than that, they're still sort of uh, reliant on parents to regulate their routine. Mm-hmm. Um, and if parents can kind of uh, keep, you know, even if it's a new routine, but keep a sense of routine and keep a sense of, you know, food time and uh, play time and bedtime and whatever, then it's sort of still not so disruptive for them. She pointed out, though, that she's been observing a difference in responses across developmental age groups, you know, particularly between younger children and teenagers. Now, in the case of teenagers, she said that, you know, they'd begun to self-regulate their time in some ways, but they also had schedules with very different components that parents alone were finding difficult to fill in. Adolescents, for example, she said, seem to miss their peers much more. They rely on their peers so much. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, their peers so much for uh, for their sense of community. I think that that you know isolation has made them feel very uh, lonely in so many ways. Um, a lot of them now developing a lot of self-doubt. That's another thing I'm hearing a lot in young people, mm-hmm. um, questioning themselves a lot of, you know, what things are. And then I think if there's an overload of internet and screen time and, you know. This was also an outcome of the Spain and Italy study, which showed that children of both countries used monitors more frequently, spent less time doing physical activity and slept more hours during the quarantine. And this high intake of online content also points to the issue of information overload and the intake of negative news during these times. I mean, in our last episode as well, we talked about how just engaging with children about the pandemic, alongside managing the information that they receive and how they process it, is very important to consider. Chihansip gave us some pointers on how this conversation can be navigated. 
obviously what you would say and how you would share the information will have to depend um you know more than age group i'm going to say more, you know the way because parents know their children best right yeah. so how they f- how much information they feel um would be useful for the child like drawing that line of where the child is going to be able to process this in a way that um makes them feel in control um and where is it going to become too much information and make them feel helpless or out of control so i think that's something i would you know suggest to put some thought into um you know obviously framing it in a way that it makes sense the other thing i would say is to not have a single conversation like don't make it an event where it's one big conversation but to do it in little parts so that children have some time to think about it but then also if they have fears or they have questions uh to open up space for that i think over a period of time you know not and to share um you know how you are feeling about it and what's helped you i think that's the other thing that's very useful i think sharing um your own experiences gives people permission you know to share if something is not okay so if you've had a bad day or um <clears throat> if you are feeling overly anxious on a particular day or i think sometimes you know sharing it obviously in a way not to make the child feel that you're you've lost control mm-hmm. but um but also providing that as an opening of you know does that happen to you sometimes or what's it been like for you all these days you know if you mm-hmm. it's a good starting point a new york times article i came across on the subject had a trauma expert sharing how one of the important things to learn and remember in terms of being mitigative for children through a pandemic is that the way that adults talk about the pandemic is how kids will internalize it parents stone can model hope and calm instead of stress and anxiety parents views and voices play a critical role in mitigating long term negative effects in kids yet even as we bring our attention to this chahanse pointed out the need to also acknowledge that this new normal is a reality for everyone involved adults included And so these changed circumstances imply that we must change how we approach our collective lives even if it's for a little bit. But one of the things that I think um is helpful overall is for all of us to just lower our expectations from ourselves from our kids from our schools mm-hmm. you know uh, from our teachers because it, there is a pandemic right um and so for us to pretend like you know we can all just uh keep racing on and you know being whatever productive is and you know whatever continuing these things is um, it's a little ridiculous so i think you know we need, we need to <laughs> we really need to sort of and i you know you because you hear parents talking about how oh, this is a great time for the young person to you know pick up a new hobby start doing a computer class i really you know just let them be i think you know for so much uh finding spaces of leisure together as a family uh you know i think those th- or in any other space where you can connect them to another kid and they can do some games or i don't know whatever it is that's possible uh if there's possibility of physical exercise you know just stepping out in a safe way um doing some of those things rather than focusing on you know acquiring a new skill this she reiterated was advice that's equally applicable to the parents as for the children and in order to be better parents having more realistic expectations of ourselves and taking rest or time outs becomes very important I think maybe finding leisure spaces and finding spaces you know where you can just take out a little bit of time wherever possible to do something that you enjoy um you know finding a space to connect 
maybe with whoever it is that you would feel nourished by or that you would feel uh, you know happy to be with um, or doing some little things I think just little things for yourself like being able to um, you know maybe just stand and have a cup of tea or coffee five minutes in the balcony or um, maybe listen to your favorite song while you're cooking or you know something that that you that would make you feel a little sense of you know happiness for that day or a little sense of hopefulness I think for that day um, to be able to yeah do that I think would be great if if people could. In our last episode, we heard from a bunch of parents on strategies that they were adopting that have helped them and their children cope better. And as part of what they shared was that they talked about how they experimented with a wide variety of things within the home. You know, whether it was playing games as a family, learning things together like cooking and baking, rediscovering their old love for reading and playing chess, exploring ideas and creative projects that follow everyday curiosities, and doing all of this with no agenda or outcome in mind, just doing them for the spirit of play. I know a lot of people who found book clubs or, um, you know, things like that also where, uh, where they get some kind of a sense of, you know, a shared interest and a sense of community. I've heard some of my parents talk about how like even fine motor, right? Like just using the hands. Mm -hmm. And so they mix up like the different grains and they give it to the young person. And, you know, the young person is just sorting or sifting and separating the three or four gains. Um, You know, so just, I think parents are finding ways to engage, like even in the kitchen while the young person is, you know, while you're cooking, you have this person beside you and Mm -hmm. you can get them to do something like that. So so, you know, if there's a show or something that everybody can watch together or, um, you know, it can be a way to, again, you know, do two things. Um, I think um, somewhere letting the young person feel like they have some choice in the matter also. So Yet even as we begin to find ways to give back our children a sense of community and connection, a major issue is simply the number of roles parents themselves have to currently play. Many have had to double down as teachers, look after young children during the day, and with no external help means they were also managing all the housework of cleaning and cooking, alongside maintaining their jobs. And that's meant enormous strain on the limited resources of adults themselves. Jahanzeeb shared how as a strategy some families are building pods or bubbles, within which a few families isolate together, in order to overcome some of these constraints of social distancing. So I know a lot of, I know a lot of families who've, uh, <clears throat> you know, relented to like what, so the, in, you know, they're calling it like the bubble, right? So the bubble of the family and maybe one other family and they're allowing the kids, you know, to connect mm-hmm. um, like they meet or whatever physically mm-hmm. because, you know, but like maybe just one other kid or um, some, fa- you know, some buildings have these op- options of kids going down to play at different times. Now, this might be an effective strategy for the long-term well-being of the family as it can help with improving the pool of energies and resources, provide childcare, improve socialization for children and families, and also support children and adults who need more educational or care assistance. She added how social connection beyond that immediate family could also be facilitated through a wise use of technology for those who might not be able to avail of the idea of a pod parenting. You know, I have a, a son, he's 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things they've been, it was so uh, interesting because 
you know he seems okay he's not really asked to meet any friends or anything but then they had this zoom party mm-hmm. that they organized and four or five of them um, so we had planned you know i said instead of just meeting and hanging out like why don't you all plan some games and things like that so they did that um, and they had a really nice time so you know they decided to do that once in a month um, so i think small things like that i think have been helpful um you know being able to celebrate maybe a festival or a birthday or something even if it's on zoom or if it's you know um on a video call or something like that like a whatsapp call a lot of people have used that as a way to um feel connected social isolation and loneliness has in the last decade been emerging as a serious public health concern amongst both the young and the old and that's because of its strong connection with cardiovascular autoimmune neurocognitive and mental health problems social connection research seems to be indicating is essential to our well-being at a time when social distancing has physically isolated us from each other my conversation with jehan zeb ended with her pointing to the profound and active need to creatively address and rebuild connection in our lives resilience i think comes from you know connection um it comes from a sense of uh you know feeling like you can manage a situation right like you have the executive functions or uh you have the the ability or the skills or the um sort of ways or means to solve a problem like and and then that feeling of hopefulness right so um i think it would be uh thinking of you know ways that you could help your children to find probably or appreciate probably little things that are going okay in the day um or little things that they can look forward to that would be one thing i think in this situation that would be helpful mm-hmm. um trying to see that they are connected or um you know uh reassured of the safety of those who are most near and dear and close to them um and then you know um i think being open to brainstorming together and figuring out if something is not going okay like if school is feeling challenging or um even in their day to day things right like if they're really missing play then being sort of able to sit with them um and try to figure those things out so that they feel more in control if something is not going okay mm-hmm. um i think we yeah i think for all all of us right just being available to each other and the sense of we'll figure this out together like i may not have all the answers but together we can probably figure out something that will be kind of okay um i think being able to communicate that these are strange and trying times for all of us the secondary psychosocio economic effects of the pandemic tell us that its repercussions and ripples shall be felt far beyond the immediate illness itself and for many years to come and so it's vital that we find the means to help children navigate this rough terrain and emerge with greater resilience it's no easy ask of course but in some ways it's also an opportunity to find those deep spaces of gratitude and beauty within us families have hardly been thrown together you know so close and continuously for such a long stretch of time in any other situation and maybe like divya a parent from our previous episode mentioned it's an opportunity to be with and know children for the people they are now and become more conscious of what we bring to molding the adults they'll be I want to leave you with a poem I recently came across called Good Bones by the poet Maggie Smith which I felt resonated with this bittersweet moment. Life is short and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger there's one who would break you 
though I keep this from my children. I'm trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor, walking you through a real shithole, chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. In the upcoming month, we are closing Season 1 of the Curiosity Collective podcast. So instead of exploring new arenas of city life, we'll spend the month reflecting on what we've been hearing and learning about well-being and transformative change and action through the season of conversations. So stay tuned for September. If you're new to the podcast, you can look through our previous episodes at www.thecuriositycollective.org or find us on any podcast app of your choice. This episode was made with the support of Srinidhi Raghavan and Arpita Joshi and was produced by the Bangalore Recording Company.